Floyd will not be denied. Ohio State and Alabama. the best. They bring nobility, the they bring dignity, they bring honor, and they bring excitement. We got an opportunity to maybe write one of the best stories ever in college football history. Here we go! The guy you're going to play against may be the best guy you played against all year. This is a feeling like no other. I'm happy. Even it don't matter what we play, it's just about the ball. I'm ready. You don't typically get an opportunity to have a second chance. You can't miss the second time. A feeling like no other makes a lot of sense as we're just four days and counting now until we crown a new national champion in South Beach. Find out why Alabama's offense put teams in a bind even before the ball is snapped. And did the results of this crazy college football season do anything to help with the playoff expansion talk? Heather Dennett will join us to explain. And Trevor Lawrence bids a fond farewell to Death Valley. We'll show you why everyone agrees he's ready for the next level. And here we go. It's never too soon. Todd McShay's Mock Draft 1.0 now available. And Justin Fields is headed to, well, you'll have to stick around to find out. Hello, everybody. Happy to have you with us as we count our way down to the national championship in Miami with Andre Ware and Tom Luganville. I'm Wendy Nix. The aforementioned Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper will join us just a little later. With just a few days now until they travel to South Beach, both teams are busy. Alabama on the practice field on Wednesday. Among the notable names to practice, wide receiver Jalen Waddell. Remember, he has not played since October 24th. Was cleared to practice this week, but we'll have more on his status for Monday coming up. Also, the Buckeyes busy back in the office. Ohio State set to travel to Florida on Saturday. Alabama, by the way, will make the trip on Friday. Both teams now in their final preparations to play for a national title on the biggest stage Monday night in Miami. And so with that, I'll ask you both what storylines you're watching with just a few days to go. And Andre, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's, it's just who really contributes to this game the most. We've heard so much about the quarterbacks and Justin Field and Mac Jones. Uh, both have been finalists for the Heisman Trophy the last couple of years with Justin last year and obviously Mac this this year. But uh, receivers, big-time receivers. Devontae Smith wins the Heisman. Chris Olave is a big-time receiver for Ohio State. But in my opinion, I think it's the running backs. Whoever comes out on top in that matchup, I have a feeling will win the win the football game. They contribute so much to to what Alabama does and what Ohio State does. And I got a chance to see this play from Najee Harris. I've seen some amazing things on football fields by all types of athletes, but to see this play live, because I was there covering the Rose Bowl, uh, him hurdle a defender and then get back to 100. 100% or 100 miles an hour, it was unbelievable, uh, that, that, that play there. But I think the running backs, Tom, will be the, be the story in this game at the end of the day. Well, I tell you, Andre, I'm going to tie your running backs into an area of Alabama's offense that I, I think is really special. You know, we've always heard about the RPOs. We know, run-pass option. And a lot of those decisions are made post-snap. What Steve Sarkeesian and Alabama do is they have pre-snap RPOs or sometimes DPOs, dual pass options, where they're going to use shifts and motions within their offense. And Mac Jones is going to make the decision before the ball is even snapped. Let's take a look at the first play right here. You see the motion with Najee Harris into the backfield. Now count the numbers in the box. That's seven in the box, and you've got dual slants to the top, two on two, but look down at the bottom. 
you have two on one. Mac Jones, Mac Jones knows right now where he's going with the football. You've got two on one. They're off to the races. Again, all done pre-snap. Easy, simple reads. Now you're going to see the motion again here. Look at what Notre Dame does on defense. Seven in the box. You've got edge pressure coming to the field side. So we're going to do what? We're going to throw the ball out on the orbit bubble route. You've got a blocker, and Alabama does what they do best. They get their skill in space. Again, pre-snap. Now let's look at this final one, because Andre, I know you love this play. Now we're in the backfield. Nigel Harris, you've got the motion coming across. Look at the rotation of the safeties for Notre Dame. Seven in the box, only six to block, but see that defensive end? Alabama's not gonna block him, so it's six on six. The numbers benefit the run game, and Andre, here comes that leap. And this is what makes Alabama <laughs> so difficult to defend, Andre. You can't be right. And Mac Jones, listen to this, Mac Jones on plays that involve motion is completing 92% of his passes on the air. And that's exactly why what we just watched right there. Yeah, and it helps to clean things up on the coverage end because, you know, if you're followed when the motion goes, it's obviously man-to-man. -man. But right. what, what else will happen with, with Alabama is that Steve Sarkeesian is such a phenomenal play caller, and he knows how to take advantage of matchups within a game. Sprinkle in some pro-style stuff to go along with all of what you just described. When they're clicking, Tom, they are unstoppable. No doubt. Well, guys, let's talk about another factor, and you don't want to make too much about this, but it is what it is. In terms of Alabama, it would be sort of adding to an already potent offensive arsenal, and that's if junior wide receiver Jalen Waddell were able to play. Again, as I mentioned before, he hasn't played since October 24th. He hurt his ankle, uh, a fracture, actually, in this game against Tennessee. He was cleared to practice this week. The question is, you don't know how players are going to respond. You start practicing, you see if that ankle swells, you see how it feels, so they do not know for sure if he'll be able to play on Monday. The hope, of course, is he'll be able to contribute in some capacity. And then in terms of Ohio State, of course, the quarterback banged up in their win over Clemson. He's expected to play. But again, you don't know, you know if, if he's limited at all. So what factor, if, if any, guys, do you think these injuries, these respective injuries, uh, could have on the outcome of this game Monday night? Andre? I think it's amazing that he's even back at practice, and I don't think he would be practicing if it wasn't a plan for him to play. And, and beyond that, I think it's pretty amazing that Coach Saban is able to get uh, his guys to stick around for not only national championship games and playoff games, but bowl games for that matter. They come back and they, can, they, they take part in what's going on to the finish. They see it through. I think Jalen Waddle will play. I actually do. If so, you're on the, if you like the numbers and the odds, I would, I would bet that he's going to play in this game. If the ankle responds the way they think that it's going to respond and it will hold up, that he will definitely play in this game. Uh, and Andre, I think from Ohio State's perspective, you you got to worry about what you can control, right? And what you can control is what yes. you've seen from Alabama. You've seen their personnel, you can prepare for that. You've seen their scheme, you can prepare for that. You're not going to have any control over whether Jalen Waddle plays. But I will say this, if I'm Ohio State and I'm coaching in the kicking game, my cover team is better be on point <laughs> if number 17 is back there because I think that's where you could see the biggest impact. Of course, when he's on the field offensively, they become even more difficult to defend. But when you can flip field position and you can create points in the kicking game with a dynamic player like 17, I think that's where you could see the most added value by having Jalen Waddell back.
Well, I think, Luke, that's the operative term, right? Added value, because they've yeah. been getting it done without Waddle. Not to say <laughs> yeah. he's not an explosive playmaker, because he certainly is. But in terms of Ohio State, your quarterback, your starting quarterback's an entirely different ball game. And I know, again, you know, he'd probably have to be crawling not to play in this game. The question is, will he be limited? And, and let's just say for the sake of argument, he is, or he doesn't have the game he's expected to have, Luke's. Uh, how critical is that for the Buckeyes? Well, first, I think it's it's important to point out that it's, it's really good for Ohio State that this game isn't on a Saturday. It's on Monday. So that gave mm -hmm. Justin Fields and the athletic training staff and the medical staff some time after last Friday's game to really sit down, diagnose, uh, prescribe a, a level of treatment to get him as game ready and practice ready as possible. And listen, we're, we're going to get to a point you play this game, you're going to have to play with pain. You're going to have to play through toughness. We've already seen Justin Fields do that. I think he'll be just fine. If it comes to being a pain tolerance issue, athletic trainers, uh, Andre, and medical uh, staff, they're going to have a remedy for that. The goal is not to have a player yeah. out there that if you alter things, that maybe they could hurt themselves further. Lugs, if he's less than 100% and he's playing, give me Justin Fields at less than 100% the way he played in the bowl yeah. game in the semi <laughs> to get him to, to the championship. <laughs> give me that Justin Fields at that percentage, whatever it might be. But you're going to have to tie him down to, to keep him out of this ball game. I got a chance to meet him last year at the Heisman announcement, and this is one competitive guy. You can just sense it. He was disappointed that he didn't win the Heisman last year and vowed to be back in that room. Obviously, things happened and, and he didn't get there. But with all that said, it just lets me know that no matter what the pain threshold is, he is going to be in this game and effective in this game once, uh, once the ball is kicked. Six touchdowns in that semifinal win over Clemson. He made a statement. I expect, uh, to your point, Andre, uh, he, he Come hell or high water, he hopes to make another statement on Monday night. <laughs> uh, speaking of statements, Trevor Lawrence made one of his own. He, of course, ended his season with the loss to Ohio State. And now the Clemson quarterback will say goodbye to Death Valley and take his talents to the NFL. We'll talk about what we can expect to see from him next year. And speaking of which, Todd McShay's first mock draft of the season is out. He'll join us to walk us through the thought process. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The matchup is made, Alabama and Ohio State. Alabama looks every bit like number one. He's got a touchdown, Ohio State! The National Championship game, presented by AT&T, January 11th on ESPN. It's not if this, this season has been a normal one for any team in any place, but for Ohio State, a team that belongs to a conference that at once declared it wouldn't even play football this season, it's been especially challenging. And so for that reason, in part, as Woj explains, one more week of the waiting game won't send the Buckeyes into Bedlam. This is a season that Ohio State became Ohio wait and wait and wait 
until finally the Buckeyes didn't have to wait any longer. Breaking news into SportsCenter, Big Ten football is back. Field sends it deep down the field for Wilson. Got it! Touchdown! Spins and gets to the end zone. Jump ball, catch made, touchdown! Once they started, they couldn't be stopped. Fields going to sling it, rolls away from a defender, running to the left of the 15, Fields to the 10, Fields to the 5, leaps and lands in the end zone for a touchdown. Only one opponent beat them. COVID-19, which cost Ohio State its head coach for one game. COVID-19 testing within the Buckeyes program reveals more positive tests. Head coach Ryan Day already testing positive. It costs them three games to cancellation. Not the news that Ohio State wanted. Michigan has canceled its game against Ohio State. And it almost cost them a place in the Big Ten championship. The Big Ten Conference has officially voted to eliminate the minimum games requirement to play in the conference title game. And that means fourth-ranked Ohio State do indeed maintain their hopes of a conference championship. Instead, trade delivered a sermon, and the Buckeyes delivered a message. They were playoff caliber, and if you don't believe them, ask Clemson. Strike across the middle, touchdown! Buckeyes up three scores. Launches downfield, he's got a touchdown! The Buckeyes stretch the lead again. Now as underdogs once again, they face a legend, a Heisman winner, and a Heisman finalist. They also face a familiar adversary. College football playoff executive director Bill Hancock told ESPN that the national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State remains on schedule for next Monday, January 11th. Sources have told ESPN there have been discussions about postponing the game because of COVID-19 issues within Ohio State's program. So Ohio State does what it has done all season. It waits, waits to play, waits to try to prove the doubters wrong one final time. Woach, thank you. And as you heard then and apparently is the case now, despite speculation of COVID-related delays, Bill Hancock, Bill Hancock says this game will go on as scheduled in Miami on Monday. Like everything else, of course, it's fluid and you never know. But as it stands right now on this Thursday afternoon, this game is expected to be played. Uh, joining our panel... Well, look, I think everybody respects the disruptions that we've, you know, had to endure, you know, throughout this season. And, you know, we have total respect for the safety of players. And um, if there were, and I think there were, you know, some issues relative to COVID and there were discussions as to whether it was, you know, fair to continue or to move the game back and all that. I think, you know, there's, there would have been some probably, I don't know, difficult um, management uh, issues if we would have moved the game back. You know, our school starting uh, this next week, we would have had 35,000 students coming back here. Uh, you know, we played 12 games this year, so, you know, we have a lot of guys that, you know, have ground through the season, a lot of guys that are nicked up a little bit. Uh, another week of practice would have been much more difficult for those guys probably. Um, you know, the January 18th is the day people got to decide whether they're going to go out for the draft or not. And now we say hello to college football senior writer Heather Denich. And Heather, I know we all heard Nick Saban there. And clearly there are some or would be some challenges to postponing this game. What more can you tell us? Well, as of right now, as a matter of fact, just before the show started, Ohio State coach Ryan Day told the media that Ohio State is still on track to play on Monday. They've been dealing with COVID all season, and this is going to be another challenge. A school spokesman told me they are expected to land on Saturday at 6 p.m., 
One piece of information that's very critical that I cannot get from both schools is when the last testing results will be available because obviously that's key before you get on the plane. So I can also tell you that I learned before the season started, the CFP management committee developed some thresholds in order to play the game. They said that an institution may postpone a game only if it has fewer than 53 roster players available with the following minimum number of players. You can see the graphic there, seven offensive linemen, four interior defensive linemen, and one quarterback. And schools are allowed to play with fewer than that if they choose to. We'll see eventually if that plays a role in this discussion. A tricky proposition all the way around, Heather, but that's just what we've all been dealing with all season long. I know you have an article out right now uh, on ESPN.com. We're going to talk about that, but let me ask the other well, Lugs and Andre your opinion on potentially postponing this game. Lugs? Well, I think the one thing that we've all got to recognize as the coaches, the staff, maybe most importantly the kids have been incredibly resilient. They're used to disruptions now. They're used to schedule changes. Nothing has gone as planned. I think it would just be another bump in the road of what they're already used to. I do agree with Nick Saban's comments about the extra wear and tear of adding another week of practice, bringing students back to campus. Now you increase exposure issues. Those are legitimate concerns. So, you know, listen, at least it's the same for everybody, right? They're, both teams are playing with the same deck of cards and are going to have to do what they can do to get on the field, Andre. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take place on time because when is the perfect time to do it? I think the longer you let it go, the more likely you're going to get, to pick up COVID cases, and and yep. that that keeps pushing the game back. There are a lot of factors within that, but the longer you go, so I think it's going to take place Monday night. It's tough when you don't know exactly when that last test is, Heather. But uh, it, it seems to me that whatever's whenever it will take place. Players will play and the coaches will be on the field to coach them up. Well, isn't that the case, though? You know, it's, it's so difficult because just because you have COVID issues this week doesn't mean you won't have them next week, especially when you talk about the influx of people, which is what happens when schools return mm -hmm. for second semester. It really is. There's just It's, it's almost a no-win situation. Sometimes you just have to roll the dice. Heather, again, I referenced this before, but you have an article on ESPN.com about the never-ending, I should say, discussion and conversation about expanding the college football playoff. Uh, now that we've seen this year, and it's a it's an abnormal year, but even so, uh, where does this conversation and this debate stand right now? Well, I would say that certainly nothing is imminent, but I also think it's fair to say that this extraordinarily bizarre season exacerbated inequities that we all knew already existed. And it prompted some conference commissioners, coaches, fans to say, hey, is the group of five ever going to really have a shot in this thing? And you know, it's extremely difficult for them. I had some commissioners like Craig Thompson from the Mountain West, Mike Oresco from the American Athletic Conference say that they really need to start looking at eight teams. John Steinbrecher of the Mid-American Conference said eight teams should be considered as well. But at the end of the day, not even those group of five commissioners are certain that expansion helps them. Keith Gill of the Sun Belt said, hey, look, even if you expand it, that doesn't fix the Cincinnati Coastal Carolina issue because somebody's still going to be left out. So yes, they're talking about it. They will continue to talk about it. 
but what does the solution look like and who is really guaranteed what? Those are some deep dives they still have to take. Yeah, it's a deep dive and it's a it's conversation that I've I've said all along that uh, when you look at this, the group of five ad, under the current system, there is no way that they're going to get in. And the only way it's going to happen is to expand to eight teams. How about Cincinnati and Georgia? Wouldn't you love to see that in a playoff setting and, and with all this at stake? Coastal, BYU, teams that are right on the fringe. How about Texas A&M that I felt like should have been in all along that didn't make it in? So, yeah, expand it to four teams. We're going to always we're gonna always have somebody that's upset about it. We always have. But at least give everyone a chance that's playing together collectively in college football an opportunity to play for the national championship. Well, you know, you get the sense sometimes, guys, that – the root of this conversation comes from Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State fatigue, all right? And so this solution to expand would not close the talent gap, at least not in the short term, not in the interim. It might long term if you added more teams into the pool, all right, and now you've got a Cincinnati or, or an Iowa State or somebody that can say, hey, we're a college football playoff contender. We've been in the college football playoff as a seventh seed. And now all of a sudden, maybe you draw some of those better players away from the top program. So in that regard, five, seven, eight years down the line, could it close the talent gap? Yes. It's also not going to stop the opt-outs. I think the only thing expansion does, ideally for everybody that's a fan of all this, is it makes you care, Andre, about that Georgia-Cincinnati game because you know the winner moves on. It makes you care about the Oklahoma and Florida game as the winner moves on. And, and Heather, I, I would pose to you with, because you're following this like crazy with, with the committee, if we were in a normal year, would a Cincinnati, even if they were undefeated, been in a top eight position if all of the teams and conferences had played a full slate? Well, not only do you have to go undefeated, Lugs, if you're a group of five team, but you have to have a schedule that includes a team like, I don't know, Oklahoma, Tennessee, right, name your power right. five conference right but one thing I did want to say that might surprise some people guys is I talked to Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and he said this is not unfair Cincinnati's coach said this is not unfair he pointed to the AAC conference championship game and he said we should have played better our season was disrupted we could have made a better statement in that game he said people say it's about style points no he said it's about playing your best football better than your best football on that particular day he pointed to the Georgia game and he said we got beat up front he you know so he's saying that's where the difference is Cincinnati's coach is saying when you go against a team like the SEC in the SEC like we did against Georgia that's the difference and that's what the selection committee saw yeah and going back to what you said Luke's I think it I might disagree a little bit in terms of the talent level because of transfers. If you have, if you know that Coastal Carolina is on the brink and they have a chance to play in the college football playoff, if Cincinnati's got a senior-laden team that is too deep with seniors from top to bottom and all it takes is a couple of transfers to transfer, I think you can actually get there in a hurry and make up the difference and then still be competitive once you get – to the, uh, the playoff level. So I think it may happen a lot faster than we might give it credit for. And, and maybe it could. And going back, Heather, to Luke Fickle's comments at, at Cincinnati, you know, there's a reason that there is a Power 5, Group of 5, FCS, Division 2, II, Division 3. 
because there's different talent levels. Not everybody can play at Alabama. Not everybody can play at Clemson. But that also creates inequities. We know that. This thing is not designed for inclusion to the group of five program, but it is coaches right. Yep. They don't have the players that Georgia has up front. Guys, look at that game. Georgia probably played the worst game they possibly could and had 10 guys missing and somehow still won the game. You know, that shouldn't happen in that any given Saturday scenario. Well, I can tell you one thing, and I, I think we can all agree, no matter what happens, if we change it, if we go back, if we don't, it's a debate that's going to continue uh, on, bo- on both sides of the aisle for quite some time. Heather, again, thank you. And your article now out on ESPN.com. Also out and available today, Todd McShay's first mock draft of the season. He likes to call it Mock Draft 1.0. Trevor Lawrence may surprise you, may not. He's at the top, and we'll tell you who else follows suit. Coming up when Mel and Todd join us after this. episode of Inside the CFP on ESPN Plus, our cameras, our all-access cameras, captured all the action of the Sugar Bowl and the defining moment of Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields' historic performance. Take a look back. Just when the Buckeyes are about to take control, the chances take a shot to the ribs. One hit changes the game. Third and 13, Fields does have time. And now takes off, makes a cut. It's a hard hit by Skowski who knocks him down. Two yards short and Fields is still down. But he took that shot right in the ribs on the right side. He did lower his helmet there. That's a classic, classic crown of the helmet. After further review, number 47 was confirmed for targeting. Penalty will be half the distance to the goal and an automatic first down. Number 47 is disqualified. So Skalski is out. That is a huge blow, just as it was last year for Ohio State. The game-changing disqualification of Wade. Fields seems to be okay. Now he's showing some toughness there. I, I, I bet he's not pain-free at the moment, but he's not going to let that stop him. This is crucial now as the Buckeyes try to stretch the seven-point lead. Fields on the run, watches for the end zone. strike. Uh, you, you talk about guts. Justin Fields showing that right now. That was a big hit that he took. Makes a great throw to Olave. You can see the latest episode of Inside the College Football Playoff on ESPN Plus on Friday. Still to come on this hour-long edition of College Football Live, Trevor Lawrence made it official. He has declared for the NFL draft. What should we realistically expect from his first year at the next level? And Todd, 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 McShay's first mock draft of the year is out. Todd and Mel will go head-to-head coming up. And Texas, is it the best job ever? With Steve Sarkeesian headed to the Longhorns after the national championship, find out why the challenge may be greater than you think. All right, as we say hello now to Mike Tannenbaum and Todd McShay, both of whom quite familiar with evaluating talent, getting set for the next level. Uh, Todd, we will start with you. We're going to go full speed on your first mock draft coming up a little later. But right now, (laughs) uh, in terms of Trevor Lawrence, 
Uh, what, what makes him the tran transcendent quarterback that everyone seems to believe he will be? Well, it, it's it's part physical talent, right? I mean, he's he's big. He's six foot six. He's he's gotten stronger. He's got a big arm. He can throw the ball down the field really well. But it's also the maturity that he has, and and watching him grow from his first year to now, he's so different than he was than he was two uh, two years ago. He's he's special. He really is. He I, I go back to Andrew Luck twenty. Uh, 2012, the highest grade I've ever given to a quarterback. And, and I, I, I've got Trevor just right behind him in terms of what I think he can be at the next level. Well, that's saying something because we all know what Andrew Luck turned out to be and, of course, how he hit the ground running. Mike Tannenbaum, you're, as an evaluator of talent, as a former GM, uh, what do you see when you look at Trevor Lawrence and how ready his game will be for the NFL? Yeah, I really agree with Todd. He has a really high floor and an incredibly high ceiling. And I think one other aspect of his game that's really important, Wendy, is he's a great athlete. He can make you miss, and he can run by people. So you package that with what Todd already mentioned, which is a great arm, getting the ball down the field. He really has no holes in his game. And what's really interesting, right now the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. No GM no head coach, and yet we all know that Trevor Lawrence is going to go there because regardless of the scheme, re regardless of the system, this is the best player, and he can be transformative, and literally they could turn around overnight. That's how good Trevor Lawrence is. Yeah, I'm not sure who's doubting Trevor Lawrence and who's out there, and I'm not sure what they're watching in regards to his game. The guy, you guys talk about the physical traits. I'm going to go somewhere else. He plays a game between his ears, and he knows exactly what the defense is doing. He knows what's there pre-snap. He knows where to go with the football, and then he has the physical gifts to get it there. There is absolutely nothing wrong with his game. Uh, maybe, a, you know, COVID made people forget a little bit about Trevor Lawrence and what he was. But going to Jacksonville, he's going to have weapons on the outside. He's got a decent offensive line, and he's got a running game. And a defense that's young is going to get turnovers, create turnovers, and get him the ball back. Trevor Lawrence fits in Jacksonville. It's close to home for him. His family can drive down there. If I'm his agent, I'm already negotiating with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if Jacksonville is smart, they're already negotiating with the representatives for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if you're Jacksonville, you, you have to look at this and say, we haven't had in 26 years the first overall pick. Now we got it. And we got a player that can absolutely turn our whole organization around. And so and everyone's saying, well, he didn't play well. And, and he, you know, he, he got outplayed. And, and you know what? He did to a certain degree. But the thing that you got, you got to know is the offensive line for Clemson's not that good. And there's 2,800 yards of receiving in terms of wide receivers that left from the year before. And he still got them to the college football playoff and, and, and gave them a, a fighting chance. So I, I just I think he's special, and I think there's no chance that he's not the number one overall pick. And if the Jets were picking one, they would, they would take him. If there were any other team that needs a quarterback, whether it's seven, Detroit, 10, Dallas, any one of those teams that could move up to that number one spot, they would take Trevor Lawrence. And people yeah, seem to Todd think because we've seen Jacksonville. His, that his offensive ahead, coordinator missed that game. 
I mean, he was out. Of, didn't he didn't have his play caller in the game that people criticize him for? So you toss that in there. Yeah, it's going to make for a, a less than stellar performance for for uh, Trevor Lawrence. But I think he's still the real deal. Listen, and people want to say, oh, he didn't have his play caller. So what? It, that's a big deal, especially at the college level in yes. a game of that magnitude. And to Todd's point, you know, people think because Jacksonville's picked in the top five or top six uh, often the last few seasons that they've had a number one pick. They have not. This is the first number one overall pick in franchise history and certainly not one they want to get wrong. Survey says they will not if they opt for Trevor Lawrence, which Todd <laughs> says is an absolute done deal as we take a look uh, at the uh, – most driven player presented by Goodyear, and it's not a shocking thing that that's Trevor Lawrence. He will be entering the NFL draft after a stellar year at Clemson, the top three in a number of categories, including the program's all-time leader in wins. Uh, as promised, we'll have much more with Todd coming up. He will take us through his first mock draft of the season. That's Mock Draft 1.0, and Mel Kuyper Jr. joins us when College Football Live returns. Todd McShay's NFL Mock Draft 1.0 is out, and no surprise here. Clemson's Trevor Lawrence slated to go first to the Jaguars. This will be Jacksonville's first ever selection at number one overall. And then it's the Jets, and Todd has the gangrene taking Oregon offensive tackle Penny Sewell at number two. Sewell was among a group of players that did choose to opt out this past season due to COVID-related concerns. At number three, the Dolphins will opt for Alabama receiver Devontae Smith, now known as the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. That would be the highest an Alabama receiver has ever been taken in the draft. And here's where things get interesting. The second quarterback off the board, BYU's Zach Wilson at number four to the Falcons. Not Justin Fields. The Bengals have the fifth pick, and they are projected to take Northwestern offensive lineman Rashawn Slater. He would be the second Northwestern player taken in the top five. So here we go. Let's round out the top ten. A trio of players from the SEC, including Florida's tight end Kyle Pitts, who's projected to go at eight to the Panthers. At number ten, Alabama cornerback Patrick Sertan is projected to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Todd is here. Mel is here. Mike Tannenbaum still with us. So, Todd, before we give anybody else a chance, uh, take us through the thought process here with your first mock draft of the season. I struggle. I really struggle with, with the quarterbacks. You know, I, I think Zach Wilson is better than Justin Fields, period. I do. And I know that nobody else agrees with me, and it's fine. I, I also thought that Justin Fields could possibly go 7 to Detroit. He could possibly go 10 to, uh, to, to Dallas. But I, I had him going 15. Kuiper makes all these rules. You can't have teams trading up. But I think the Patriots <laughs> are going to wind up trading up to go get a quarterback. <laughs> he doesn't like your rules, Kuiper. He complains about it right out of the chute every season. I know he does. And he also doesn't understand that a mock draft is not about what you think, Todd, it's what the league thinks. So whether you like Fields or Wilson doesn't matter. It's who's going to go higher come late <laughs> April. So you, got, you just can't get past that, can you, pal? I mean, you, you put me in an impossible situation. The, the Patriots are going to trade up, or, Dal or Dallas is going to trade up, or uh, Detroit's going to trade up. One of these teams is going to trade up. And these quarterbacks, I, I, I said it before, all three of these quarterbacks 
are gonna wind up going in the top five to top seven range when it's all said and done. Todd, let me ask you this, because, yeah, we know the quarterbacks grab the headlines, especially in these early days as we t start talking about the draft. So, uh, look, people are going to say, what, he's got Justin Fields going to, the, to New England, who clearly are trying to solve the Tom Brady equation. Cam Newton's likely to move on. So, uh, forget where he goes. or where, Why is Justin Fields, in your estimation, a fit uh, for Bill Belichick's Patriots? I, I think he's a really good player. I, I really do. I think he's a top ten player. I think that he has he has the strength, he has the arm talent, he's he's able to he's able to make tight throws into tight windows, but I think he still has some progression to, to go. I, he he has to realize how to get off of that first read, and that's what really bothers me. He gets stuck on that first read, and and he doesn't get to his second read or his third read as fast as guys like. You know, Trevor Lawrence or, or some of the, the other quarterbacks in this class. So that, that to me is the biggest difference between Lawrence and then even Wilson and, and Fields. Yeah, the thing with Fields is, Todd, if you go back to last year, he was worthy of being right there in the discussion with Trevor Lawrence. He regressed this year, and whether it was COVID, not being in sync, obviously you look at the Northwestern game and the Indiana game, you would think, boy, is even a first-round pick, let alone a top-five pick. But then you see him when, boy, the pressure was on and all eyes were on Justin Fields, and he pulls through with that upset victory uh, over the Clemson Tigers. So I think you would talk about a guy comes through in the clutch, made all the throws, played through pain. I think that kind of dispelled any concern about those two hiccups against Northwestern and Indiana to put him back in that top five discussion. All right, guys, since we are now just a few days away from the national championship at Miami, I, you know, these teams are there for a reason, which means they've got some pro talent uh, on their roster. So we need to know who to watch for, who you're looking out for. Todd, I'll start with you, and then, Mel, you follow up. Like, clearly there's some, some quality players here, but who in particular will you be watching in Monday night's game? Devontae Smith. I mean, obviously, the, the way he stepped up with, with Jalen Waddell, not being able to play because of the injury and the way that Devontae has played, I, I just can't wait to see him in this game. It's every single week. It's like 170, 220 yards, whatever it is. He, every single week he is showing up for them. And I, I really also want to see Matt Jones and how he plays in this big game. To me, like, those are the two guys that I really want to see how they perform. Yeah, Jalen Waddle, Todd, you mentioned the wide receiver at Alabama. He's been out since October 24th with that ankle injury against Tennessee on the opening kickoff. You didn't think you'd see him at all. Now he practice. Is he going to play? He had a better average per catch of a fantastic four tour in the NFL. That's Judy and Ruggs third. Devontae Smith we know all about. So of the fantastic four, he had the best average per catch career at 19.1 yards than any of the other three receivers. So Jalen Waddle with his punt return ability, I don't think he gets the 17. I think he still goes in the top 10 overall. Be anxious to see if he's back on the field. Even if he isn't, I still think he goes very high come late April. And again, Mel, to reiterate, he's been cleared to practice, expected to be a game-time decision for Monday night. And Todd, I think you both have a special. Todd will uh, go through his mock draft 1.0, 5 o'clock streaming live on ESPN+. Always must see TV. All right. Still to come, Steve Sarkeesian is busy getting ready, of course, for Monday night's national championship, after which he'll trade in his Bama Reds for Texas Orange. Uh, let's talk about what that job means straight ahead.
four days to the college football playoff national championship game on ESPN. We are making our way, and you can watch it any way you'd like. A megacast, everything from the coach's film room to ref center. You can find it across our ESPN networks again Monday night from Miami. And clearly, speaking of Monday night in Miami, he's getting ready for the Buckeyes on Monday. But after the national championship game, Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian moves on to Texas, where he's agreed to be the Longhorns head coach. Now, the prevailing theory, guys, says the head coaching job is in Austin is among the best in the business uh, for all kind of reasons. But let's be clear, since Mac Brown, there's been a revolving door there. Uh, nothing seems to stick. Are, are we missing something, Lugs, about this job? On the surface, it should be, but yeah, I mean, you, you remove the Mac Brown era, all right, you go back to 1980, the University of Texas had had five 10-win seasons, five, all right, but we're under this notion that it's the best job with the greatest available resources, and it may have the greatest available resources. The problem is you have too many hands in the cookie jar, everybody wants their pound of flesh, you've got all this money, but where's the money going to, Andre? Is it, is it going to the right areas, and the people that are creating all of that, are they then stepping away? No, they're not. I mean, they just fired a coach. What is Steve Sarkeesian going to do? What if he loses his first bowl game or his second bowl game? Tom Herman just went 4-0 in bowls. So are they going to yank him after three or four years? So there, there's more to this job than just X's and O's and the label of the Longhorns. Yeah, and what it, what it really goes back to is there are two separate alumni bases, and they can't seem to get along. One wants one thing while the other is trying to outduel them and outspend them to get it. It's why a couple of weeks ago the, the athletic director, Chris Del Conte, came out and said, yeah, Tom Herman will be back in 2021, and three weeks later they're hiring a new head coach. Until they merge together and become one family, uh, this is always going to be. There's always going to be some discord because the resources, as you mentioned, are there. The facilities are there. The climate's there. They're in a recruiting hotbed, so there's no loss for players, or they're not at any disadvantage. They can spread their tentacles and go anywhere in the country and get players. It's just that the alumni base needs to figure out a way to get along and support one guy, stand behind him, and give him more than four years to get his program Get going. out of the way. Sark will need at least five. Yeah, just get out of the way. Let Sark <laughs> coach for the next five years. <laughs> Nobody gets out of the way in Texas, guys. I don't no. know. Perhaps you haven't heard. And let's not forget, <laughs> these are expensive arguments. I mean, they yeah. got a lot of money, but it's costing a lot of money. Yes. At some point, this stuff will catch up to you. So, uh, again, best of luck to Steve Sarkeesian, but you got to hope they kind of come together and everybody get on the same page. Uh, but clearly these days, easier said than done. Uh, listen, it was just a few days ago that we handed out the Heisman, a historic win for Devontae Smith becoming just the fourth wide receiver in history to take home the hardware. We got more college football awards. We'll talk about who and what to look for tonight after this. Tonight, we'll have the 30th annual Home Depot College Football Award Show. And like so many other events this year, it's a 90-minute virtual presentation. Reese Davis will host along with Holly Rowe, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN and also on the app. Here's a few players to keep an eye on tonight. Fresh off his historic win, walking away with the Heisman Trophy, Devontae Smith will look to win the Maxwell Award, the award given to the Player of the Year. Linebacker Jeremiah Owusu. Moa, a finalist for the Benaric Award, is looking to join Mante Teo, Mante Teo as the only Fighting Irish players to win that award. 
And running back Travis Etienne is a Dope Walker finalist. He's looking to become the first Clemson player to win the award and just second from the ACC. The Home Depot College Football Awards are tonight on ESPN at 7 o'clock Eastern. We will recognize many award winners, including Memphis's Brady White, the recipient of the William V. Campbell Trophy presented by Mazda. Uh, it's already been a solid award season. At this point, I think we're just glad to have awards because we're glad to have had <laughs> a, a season and, uh, with which to give out awards. But uh, nevertheless, uh, guys, before we go, I want to get your thoughts on the Heisman simply because uh, pretty neat. We think of it as a quarterback award. And in this case, Devontae Smith becoming just the fourth player, the first since Desmond did it in 91 uh, in terms of his position to win this award. Luke's? Well, listen, I, I think it showed two things. Number one, that the voters were really paying attention. They were really watching. They were, they were taking in these performances that just continue to be awe-inspiring each and every week. And then I think secondly, Greg, McShay, uh, excuse me, Greg McElroy mentioned this earlier in the week when we were on together, that the quarterback performances were all so good, but there wasn't a, really an eyelash difference between any of them. So it, it created that opportunity for Devontae Smith to take the, to take the trophy and run with it. Yeah, Luke, I think with the college football season being as it was, it allowed the Heisman Trophy Trust to move the award back. Therefore, voters got a chance to see the season in, in its entirety yeah. through the uh, championship games. And so it allowed Devontae Smith to really elevate himself, show the voters exactly what uh, he was capable of doing, and then obviously winning, ultimately winning the Heisman Trophy. Uh, a phenomenal player. Welcome to the fraternity. Love the guy and love 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 the sweet bow ties and the gear that he puts on. He goes, That's right up my alley. <laughs> Listen, that, that suit game, virtual or not, that suit uh, game for the Heisman yes. was strong. Sweet. I, I think Bo we all sweet. need something That's we sweet. can agree on right now. I, 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 that seems pretty 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 obvious to me. Uh, listen, do you agree with Todd McShay or, or Greg? What do you call Greg McElroy? Uh, Greg McShay, McElroy. Todd McElroy, uh, either or, McShay, pool they, or pond. I mean, they got, what, what can we say? Listen, uh, you heard Todd say that, that uh, Devonte will be the player or one of the players he's watching most on Monday night. You two agree, and what do you think he's capable of on that stage uh, with a national title at stake, Andre? Boy, he's cool as a cucumber, so nothing seems to phase him. Didn't he, it didn't even look like it phased him when he won the Heisman on Monday night? So uh, Tuesday night, I'm sorry. So yeah, he's a guy I'm obviously watching. I got a chance to see it live uh, in the Rose Bowl and watched him do his thing there. I expect a, a similar performance. Heck, Andre, I remember when he was in high school, he weighed a whopping 125 pounds with rocks in his pockets <laughs> soaking wet. I mean, you, you could have gone, <laughs> and it just blew him right over. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I, lo I love about the Slim Reaper is that his impact on the opponent when he's not the primary target and how that opens things up yeah. for this offense, that's how impactful he is. The Unselfish. Slim Reaper. I mean, the suit game is strong. Yeah. The nickname game, I like it. Yeah. I mean, the future is bright. Uh, again, <laughs> just a reminder, uh, this game expected to continue as planned despite some COVID-related concerns. Alabama travels on Friday. Ohio State will make the trip on Saturday, and we will see you Monday in Miami. Thanks for joining us.